Hey there, welcome to ATL and 29 of Peach Troops podcast where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin. I'm here with Glenn. We're recording after a pair of games that the Hawks played against the 76ers. Uh, I don't even know where to start. Where do you want to start, Glenn? Uh, maybe start with the win. We go chronologically here. Chronologically. On Thursday. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I think a big driver of the win in the first game was that uh, you look at the first quarter, Trey had come off a game where he didn't get to shoot any free throws. And right. in this in this first game against Philly, uh, it went really well for the Hawks. I thought that uh, the Hawks did a good job of manipulating the defense of Maxie and Embiid in the first quarter. It was kind of a drop coverage. They were trying to use Maxi on Trey. Uh, that didn't work out. And there was a lot of space for Trey in the mid range. If he just kind of snaked around those pick and rolls and got to the free throw line, there was a lot of space for him in that first game. And that, that got him into a comfort zone early. And I thought that was a big factor in, in the win that they had over Philly in, in the first game of the two. Yeah. And in addition to that, I think, you know, I, on the rewatch, which I did, I, I did the rewatch on Friday. Um, I, I mean, Che got middle constantly in that first half, and and there were there was no effort. It seemed like on Mac, on the part of Maxi and other defenders to kind of keep him out of that line right through the nail that he he liked so much. I I, I can't think of another game this season where Trey just kind of lived driving literally right down the middle of the paint. So, you know, the Sixers. Um, Kind of defensive energy was just really missing there. They, if you kind of have followed them and or the people that follow them and kind of talk about it, they they seem to kind of have carried a bad vibe for a little while here. Harden's hurt, and they haven't won as many games as they wanted. And they just they just looked like a team that weren't enjoying playing basketball with one another. You know, in that first game there the other night, um, and uh, to, to to that end, I, th- I thought the Hawks uh, just kind of took advantage of what uh, the Sixers kind of allowed them to do, and kind of got all of that. And then I thought the Hawks played a really good game on defense. Um, they were um, showing up, um, you know, with help and all those sorts of things. And they were anytime uh, they had a chance for deflection or to kind of create a turnover, uh, they they sensed that opportunity and kind of kind of pounced. And I think I think an opponent going up against Embiid, like creating turnovers has to be like probably if not your top priority, one of your one of your top priorities. And they're able, they're able to do that. So a great all around game, even if they didn't shoot the ball very well. It was a kind of a low scoring game there, but just a lot of a lot of good defense from both first and second unit in that game and Trey setting the tone on offense. Yeah, I th- I thought a big change in the second game was that Embiid was playing further up and that space in the middle was gone. I I thought Tybal did a better job making Trey uncomfortable than anything that they got in the first game, which some of which was Tybal too, but I, I thought that Embiid taking that space away in the middle was a big factor. There was no there was no time there were no shots to be had there. So even when they kind of probed that they were just kind of getting sealed off, and and then it was instead of a natural flow to the offense, it was a little bit more of oh, this is kind of a bad spot. You know, what can we do to reset? Like there were 
it, it felt like when they would get to that spot, it was a little more like they were getting trapped than actually getting anything good out of it. Yeah. And I mean, just even just in reflecting, like in the moment, thinking about how frequently Trey got middle on Thursday. I mean, how often did we see Trey and DeJounte working the side the sideline mm-hmm. in the half court tonight? The Philly was able to kind of push the ball Hawks ball handlers being being mostly Trey and DeJounte uh out, you know, towards the side boundary the whole game and kind of squeezed them kind of into a tight spot over there. The Hawks had a hard time kind of fight back. I thought another thing was that um in the Thursday game, Niang played a lot of center on defense. He'll, he'll, it'll be that kind of thing where he plays center on defense and power forward on offense and kind of a rotation there with P.J. Tucker. But I, I thought Tucker was much, much more effective. Uh, Tucker played, a, I think, almost all of his minutes with a bead in this game, where he played a decent amount with kind of Niang the, the other game um, there. And so I thought P.J. was more effective um, kind of when the Hawks tried to bring uh, someone that wasn't indeed kind of into the pick and roll. I thought Tucker did a great job of kind of pushing the ball handler sideways, you know, laterally mm-hmm. out towards the, the side. So the Hawks just had a hard time getting middle, and that really impacted them, their ability to get quality shots tonight. And even when they could use uh, a little bit of space on the side to penetrate and kind of kick the ball out, it wasn't until AJ came into the game <laughs> in the fourth quarter that anybody was able to kind of convert those kickout passes into, you know, a three-point shot. Did he make two? I, I, I think he was two for two, yes. Yeah, so – but the two felt like eight because there were like, like almost none. To... <laughs> well, every, every, the, I think the non AJ shooters were four for twenty one. Yeah, Trey got one was, early. He was and... two for two. Yeah, then that's all of them. Not you were you you were you were calling them kickouts. So I'm not narrowing it down to kickouts. I'm oh, just for sure. All threes. Yeah, four for twenty one. Yeah, for yeah, for sure. I, I know Hawks fans on Twitter are mad. AJ didn't play until the fourth quarter, but I, I don't I don't share that feeling with them so much. Okay, well let's let, let's talk about that because I, I mean, he's a rookie and and he can shoot and he's not going to solve everything because he's a rookie. But there's there's something that they need, isn't there? I mean, don't don't they need more shooting? I think it's I think it's fair to say AJ could have played earlier for sure. I, I think that's reasonable to to take it to some degree like that it's completely um, ridiculous that AJ didn't play earlier. I mean, keep in mind, just go look at the stat sheet and look at what not only, I mean, we know what Embiid did this game, but go look at what Tyrese Maxey did in this game. Go look at what Tobias Harris did in this game, right? And AJ was not going to help contain either one of those guys. Their biggest issue tonight, like sometimes you're like, uh, especially Embiid wasn't like getting all his points at the rim. He he was he hit like all his pull ups. It felt like tonight, like you know. Yeah, he was great from fifteen yeah. feet. When he does that, it's it's going to be a long night. But and you're going to live with it. You're going to live with it. But you you're playing. You're nibbling on the margins too. I mean, this the the Hawks had a lot of things go wrong, and they were within six points, like with two minutes left. So right, you know, right, you clean right. up a little bit here, you clean up a little bit there. Embiid hits those shots, and you're you're still ahead late. Yeah, I, I just I think um, th- you know they were they were trying. I think Nate was mostly trying to find someone who could have some impact on Tyrese Maxey, who had a great game tonight. And I don't think Jalen was going to help with that. I don't think AJ was going to help with that. And and so that's not me saying I I 100 think Nate did the right thing. I just think it wasn't crazy for Nate to say I'm not going to put AJ out there until I have to have shooting on the floor to come back. You know. 
I think the Hawks were struggling to contain the ball. The Hawks were struggling to keep Tyrese Maxey from getting to that runner, especially on the right side like he likes it. And I think Nate was trying to use kind of his veteran defenders uh, on the court. And, and, and with Frank having to kind of come into the rotation too, I think Frank plus either AJ or JJ or both is really problematic because Frank doesn't give them any they close to kind of the defensive presence presence on the defensive interior that they get from Okongwu and Clint. So it was kind of a wonky kind of rotation. In hindsight, would it have been nice to have AJ shooting on the court for some stretches? Absolutely. I agree with that. I just don't, I just think I can see kind of Nate was prioritizing from a problem solving standpoint, trying to get some uh, defense at the point of attack, contain drill penetration and things like that. I, I just, I I understand Nate kind of prioritizing that and not being so inclined to feel like you want to put AJ out there when he's trying to problem solve that. That's my thought. But okay. AJ, so okay, if I play devil's advocate, like yeah. you're right. AJ's not going to help a ton with respect to containing Maxi. He's not going to help a ton to, with containing Embiid or, uh, Tobias Harris, but like if I'm a Hawks fan and I watch that game from the first quarter to the fourth, the thing that I would be most disheartened by was the stretch. I guess it would be like late in the first quarter if I'm getting this right. And then on the offensive end, like the Hawks are in the bonus, Trey's cooking. I think he gets like 11 points uh, in the last three minutes of the first quarter. But on the other end of the court, they're getting dismantled by a Fur- Furkan Korkmaz, uh, Paul Reed pick and roll. And that was just shattering them. And it was repeated. And that's disheartening. And a big part of that is that they didn't have Onyeka Kongu, like you mentioned. So Frank's in that action. Justin Holiday is in that action. And they just got torched like, that that would be the part of the game that I'm I'm most discouraged by if I'm a Hawks fan. And A.J. Griffin's probably not going to solve that because the Hawks really didn't need any more offense. The Hawks were in the bonus. Trey was in the game. You're just going to run your offense through him, and he didn't really need any shooting because he was just putting it on the deck and getting fouls at every instance. But some of these bench lineups, I it just does seem like like A.J. could help. I I I don't think that there some of these players that are in the the lineup for defense are, are making that big of an impact on defense. I I did not think that Justin Holiday was. I know he does a lot of things right, but I felt like he made a lot of mistakes in the last couple of games. To go back to the one they won against Philly, I think it was Maxi. He's guarding. Might have been, might have been Shake Milton, but like he's playing good defense. And he's he's got the Sixers down late in the shot clock. So the clock's like down to six, down to five. He's got his man out beyond the three-point line. And he reaches with like four on the shot clock. And it's like, in that instance, if if you're Justin Holiday, you're a good defender, just, just stay in front of him. If you don't let him get anything going, they're going to be really stagnant for those last four seconds. Instead, he reaches, gets blown right by, and I, I don't even think that any rotation came. I think it was just a layup. But that was just a terrible reach with four seconds on the shot clock. Tonight, I thought Justin Holiday. when I was chatting with you before we started, you were saying, well, you know, Justin doesn't have a chance against Tobias Harris. I thought Justin was bad against Korkmaz. Like, 
he was getting screened for sure, but he didn't get over like any of the screens, like not a single one. Like you've got to do something to get over one. Like if you're, if you're fighting over, you should at least get over some of them. It felt like he didn't get over any of them. And yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I'm, sorry, I'm done. <laughs> no, you're, you're good. You're good. No, I, I'll have to watch that part closer and rewatch. I, I'm very interested to see if there was any kind of defensive chemistry between. So like Frank calling, you know, where he's going to be to support that yep. ball screen or not. And just the timing. I mean, Frank, I mean, like Justin hasn't played with Frank. This is the first game. Yep. I, I mean, they've maybe played two or three minutes in mop-up duty or some sort of, I don't know. But I, I and think it's a huge difference between a Kongwu and Kaminsky in style, because huge. the thing that a Kongwu does best is he plays up. Like yep. he doesn't sit and wait for people to to come to him under the rim. He's only six six. That doesn't help him. What a Kongu does best in that kind of action is he gets up high and right. he disrupts with his arms and he you know he gets like those pounce blocks where he just gets up on somebody so fast that like he's jumping before they are and just completely smothers it. On the other hand, in this game, you know what you watch those actions that had Kaminsky in them and Justin Holiday. Kaminsky's way, way back, almost like Embiid in that first game, and the stuff is just happening before it ever even gets to him. Like he just, he's, he's a big dude, but like yeah. everything happened before it ever got in his vicinity. Like he didn't have the reach or the vertical to come in and have any impact at all on those actions because he was so far back. Yeah, and I, I, I think it's underappreciated. For example, like how much it helps when a guy like a Kongu and Clint less frequently, but he does it sometimes too gets up and impacts the angle that the ball handler takes towards the ball screen. Tonight, when Frank was in, Sixers ball handlers were getting straight down. They wanted to get straight downhill on that, as opposed to having any sort of kind of horizontal kind of drag to be a part of the way that you're approaching that ball screen, which allows the defender to have more space to navigate that screen. So I, I, this isn't me saying Justin was good tonight. I, I just think that there's it, it almost kind of always comes back to some sort of kind of collective, um, you know, uh, structure to how, you know, multiple guys are kind of defending that. And I think all of these guys are used to, especially on the second unit, used to having Kongu up higher and thus causing that ball hitter to take more of a horizontal angle to that ball screen, and which gives you more time to kind of catch up and get reattached to the ball handler. And the Korkmaz was from that right slot going straight, <laughs> straight to the rim, you know, the whole night. And it's it's just much harder for a defender to chase over the screen when the ball handler has an opportunity to get straight downhill from there. So, um, you know, uh, I'm sure I'll, I'll I'll pick up more on, on the rewatch, but and and I'm not here to you know completely point all the blame at Frank Kaminsky. He's the third string center, and this is the kind of game that. I, I suppose he's going to be called upon, but like for me, a, a bigger deal than AJ. And I want to say AJ could have played more tonight. I want to agree with that part. I just don't think it's as big an issue as some people make it out to be. That's my personal view. But like in the second half, why did why couldn't we figure out how to get Clint and JC to cover all the minutes at center? Right? Like why well, was Frank yeah, playing? Exactly. You know? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's the bigger issue to me. Yeah. I agree. Like in that situation, like any, any situation where Paul Reed is playing center, like I would love to see John at center, uh, in, in those minutes. Like it's just hard for John. Like he's, he's in a tough spot with Clint. Like Clint doesn't really make John's job easy on offense. He's, he's got to nibble around the margins and there are situations where 
he's going to give them every bit that Frank Kaminsky would give them on defense and a lot more. And he would get to find a little bit of rhythm on offense too, that could have some value in a late game situation where he is back out there with Clint again. Yeah. So that was, that was my bigger issue with Nate was playing Frank in the second half really at all. Um, and, uh, you know, it'd be different if like in the first half, Frank kind of was help because Frank is, he's a good offensive center. Like he has some, he can, he's sure. a good passer and he moves the ball in the DHO, you know, and things like that. But it's not like he unlocked something offensively in the first half. He didn't at all. And in fact, there was a, there were like a once, maybe twice that he passed up shots that are like, man, when you're on, you got to take that shot because that's maybe your, you know, top offensive value is to take that shot that Clint can't take, you know, take that shot that right now, like Yannick is not shooting from the three point line. So, you know, if, if he had more of an impact offensively in the first half, I probably would have understood Nate rolling with him the second half. But I, I thought all, of, all all 24 minutes second half at center should have been Clint and JC. So that that's a much bigger deal than AJ. I, I think. I think a more fundamentally important question on AJ is what kind of uh, rotation minutes should he get going forward? Kind of what's the plan for him? Is it hit and miss? Is it dep- totally dependent on game flow and things like that? And I think that, you know, Nate said clearly, once again, I'm not doing development. We're not doing development, you know, a couple of days ago. But I think, you know, with a- AJ, especially because he has that shooting equity, that you've got to give him the repetitions to kind of bring the rest of his game into uh, have an opportunity to bring other parts of his game along, you know, and things like that. So I, I'm all for AJ playing more. I, I, I just don't know that like tonight was the most ridiculous example I could point to when Nate, when he had Gallo and the Hawks were down by 12 plus, he threw Gallo on the court floor on the court. He played him as center even sometimes, you know, and <laughs> things like that. So Nate has shown he will put, more shooting on the court when this team is down and trying to catch up. That's what AJ right. playing the whole fourth floor is about tonight. Uh, I think they're more important to me than the fact that AJ didn't play in the first three quarters tonight is what's the plan for AJ going forward. Cause I do think he needs to play regularly. I, I think he's worth playing regularly. And I think that he's going to give you more in February, March, April, if he's playing more now and into December, for example. So that's a bigger deal to me than whether or not AJ played the first three quarters tonight. thought this was an interesting game for Trey in addition to that hot streak at the end of the first quarter I thought a big thing that really limited the Hawks in the first half is he just had four like complete question mark passes which is very unlike what you usually see from Trey like that just doesn't happen like maybe one a game but he had like I want to say three or four in the first half and one in the second half it's like what, what did you see like that that just can't <laughs> that that's just not Trey when when you see that. Like he's he's one of the top passers in the league, maybe the top passing point guard in all all the NBA. Like uh it, it hurts the Hawks when that happens. That that uh the Sixers defense was a lot better, but uh, you know, even when they're more active and and you know, closing a lot of things off to just give them three or four freebies is rough. But I thought Trey had a pretty good defensive game like there was yeah he had like a stunt that made Embiid really uncomfortable in the second half he had like a steal that turned into a transition bucket for somebody in the second half he had a he had one where I think Maxi was going on somebody on the baseline and he came and just kind of stunted to the baseline and I think he blocked the shot and flung it off of Maxi out of bounds and it was like 
okay. Like that, that, that's, that's what you want from Trey. You know, you put him on somebody that's less of a threat and you just want him to do, you know, some opportunistic smart things. And I thought he did a good job of that tonight. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Agreed. I thought, I, I think he's making some pretty regular impact on defense. The turnovers, it was as much the timing as it was the turnovers because they had clawed back into the game and he felt like he had like two or three, like in a pretty tight period of time, like after they got the lead down to around 10 or so uh, that, that really hurt them. But I mean, we, we, I think I go back to the Miami series. I go back to the first Milwaukee game. I go to the Toronto game and then tonight. And, you know, he's, he struggles with length. You know, in a way that he, it was strange. It's like before the Miami series last year, like he would cook big guys, you know. Um, so I, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not, I'm not sure if the league has kind of figured out like how to take that angle away that he likes to take when he kind of gets, uh, gets a bigger guy on him and things like that. But it's, it's that length. And, and for me, I think there's a, a, a tough coaching conundrum to have there because the Hawks, offense is built on spacing spread out you know and we are going to take advantage of the defense kind of loading up to the ball if we can by moving the ball swing swing but there are times Trey being a smaller guy kind of gets trapped away from the other guys who are spaced out and I and as a coach that like I I grew up playing you know basketball in the 80s my own quote playing career we were taught when a guy gets in trouble you go to him and get and get the ball from him you know and but that's not what the Hawks do the Hawks spread out kind of space out and there are sometimes i wonder like uh i don't know that you want clint going to get the ball but like can john like having a bigger guy on him get and have having speed get some separation go get the ball and even if it's just directly a pitch back to trey i'd like to see them bring more help to him when he's kind of in a tough spot but that's not what they do that's not what that's not you know on the surface what their offense is supposed to look like it's supposed to be spit out spaced out spread out and finding leverage and then attacking that leverage and, and going from there. But there are times Trey's in trouble and, you know, someone might say, well, good, he should be able to work his way out of it. True. But there are other times when it's like, you got to go help a guy, you know? So it, it, it'll it be interesting to see, but it's showing up since that Miami series. And then the, the teams that throw more length at you defensively this year, it's, those turnover patterns are kind of showing up. It's funny to me to think like coming into tonight, they were second, they had the second best turnover percentage mark in the league. So it's still not like this. Macro no, it's not level, like, a, macro, yeah, it's not a level issue. No. Right. But there are times when uh, like a really, really, really critical stretch in a game where something like that will happen, especially the, the live ball turns into a easy bucket for the team at the worst time. Um, but it, it's, you know, I'd love to sit down with, even if it was just like, like an assistant coach, like Nick Van Axel and ask him, Hey, when Trey gets in trouble, what 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 do you expect the guys to do? Do you, do you never want someone to kind of come and help him get the ball, pitch it back, get you know, give him a or whatever? Or do you want Trey to just figure it out and and work it out and then take advantage of the fact that the defense led up towards him? So that's something I'm watching for sure. But I, I don't know if it's on Trey to figure it out for himself or if there should be more help there. I don't. I'm not sure what to think at this point in time. Okay, like I think a lot of it in those situations is just shooting, and by shooting I mean two things. Like you know, one is just Trey shooting, 
And then you've got, you know, what his teammates do shooting wise. And I think, you know, if he gets more shooting, it just makes everything that much easier. Again, this is all splitting hairs because the Hawks are very good at not turning it over. Um, but I, I think it just, this, this is another thing that just goes back to shooting because, you know, if he's shooting better, that means the pickup point for the defense has to be better. They have to come up the floor higher to, to defend him. And then he's got a little bit more space on his drives to, you know, more time for decisions, more space to get up a floater, just more space overall. And, and, you know, shooting from his teammates does this has the same sort of effect. Like if you could just get one or the other, a little bit of both, I, I, you know, I think you'll see that sort of thing go away. I don't think he will, you know, struggle with length. Uh, if the shooting gets better on the, on either front, I think life gets a lot better. Yeah, yeah, agreed. And I, I think in that sense, he misses Gallo. I mean, Gallo was a great outlet for him. Right. Gallo could pass over the defense. Gallo could get his own shot up if he needs to. Gallo could handle the ball in a way that not, none of the – maybe Jalen gets, gets there in the future, but Gallo is an immensely skilled guy who played mostly at the four, but also depending on kind of how you're looking at the five and stuff. So I think the Hawks miss having a guy who can – uh, who's that skilled at, at that at that position? And I think that gave Trey a lot of comfort, and it gave Trey a place to go if he felt like he needed to kind of get the ball before he got in trouble. He doesn't have that now. And you know, coming into tonight, I think when I looked, the Hawks were like 11th in defense and like 15th or 16th in offense, or something along those lines. And right. they're like 23rd in effective field goal percentage uh, coming into tonight, and they're eight and four. And so you know. <laughs> We've talked about it. They've traded some shooting and they traded some offensive skill for some defense. And that's how they got the eight and four. Uh, I think trade, I think trade does miss Gallo. I think trade does miss having a guy like Tony Snell or someone else who can kind of create that kind of spacing. And maybe as the year goes on, AJ does become kind of, kind of that guy. And maybe it needs to happen with a little bit more urgency that I, I don't challenge. I don't push back on the idea that, that the Hawks coaching staff could push that a little bit more for sure. But I, the first five, six games, I saw Trey's start as he's had a cold start before. I saw it as guys are going to go through stretches where they're making shots, guys are going to go through stretches where they're missing shots. Now that we're, what, 13 games in, I think he misses some some more skilled players on offense around him. And uh, and I think that's a big adjustment for him. And so, I, you know, what DeJounte does is very different than what, you know, having a couple guys who can space up, you know, um, around the three-point line, especially a big guy like Gallo who can shoot over anybody and handle and and know just always knows exactly what to do with the ball. I I, I think I think not having Gallo is having a huge impact on Trey, um, and I think that's something they're going to have to figure out. I I agree in the in in the bigger sense that like I I think that extra offense has to come from the bench. I like what they have with their starting unit. Like it's, it's a little bit unconventional. Uh, it's like this mid range recipe that reminds me a little bit of Phoenix for the last couple of years with, with Booker and CP three with Trey kind of in that CP three role where, you know, there, you just got a team that, you know, runs clean pick and roll. They can get to the free throw line. Uh, you know, they can, they can live in that 15 to 17 foot area and just, uh, you know, play clean basketball, um, you know, take very poised, methodical shots, get back in transition defense 
You've got Capella to bang for some offensive rebounds. Basically, you've got a team that can kind of win the possession game. You're just going to get more possessions. You're going to get more transition opportunities because you've got a, a pretty good defense in that starting unit. And, you know, you've got good rebounding. You, you've got an amazing rim protector and offensive rebounder in Capella. And then you just have these two guards that can just be really patient on offense, not turn the ball over and just get these, uh, patient, methodical, pretty good looks and, and, you know, be, if not the best mid range team in the league, you know, one of the top three. And like, that's a good recipe. But then there are just going to be times where you just need some juice and you need to be able to look at your bench and say, okay, yeah, that, that guy's going to help me. And maybe it's bogey. Um, I would want to count on him at this point. Like if, if he's missing this much time, it's, it's going to be a, a steep ramp to climb to, to get him up to speed. And he's going to have an effect on the defense. And like you mentioned with, uh, Gallo, like he's, he's not that big kind of, uh, over the top of the defense, make good decisions. Like he's, he's going to have to do things from a different vantage point, but. I, I just don't know that this team has a, enough offense on the bench to just kind of juice the offense and find a comfort level for Trey when when Trey gets stuck a little bit. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's not the same, but you know, JC's a pretty skilled guy, and so may, maybe it's getting him more involved with Trey and putting Clint. Uh, you know, Clint's been so good these last what four or five games yeah. on both on both ends. You know, he's been he's been finishing and he's been impactful and all that sort of stuff. But maybe maybe there's maybe they have to find a way to get JC doing more of the things that he can do. He, obviously, he's not the ball handler that Gallo is, but I think he's um, especially with his shot threat. You know the, his ability to create his own shot. I think he could take some pressure off of Trey, but his but tonight I think he took like six shots or something. I mean, it was like small number, you know. Um, and and so maybe there maybe there's a need to kind of swing some opportunity towards JC to help Trey out. So I'm just wondering, like, you know, to your point, like Bogey's probably a ways away from even if he's going to be playing as soon as we'd all like him being bogey is further out, you know, cause it's going to, to your point, well made, it's going to take some time, but they've, they've got to find uh, a way to kind of give takes a little pressure off of Trey and kind of get him um, the kind of help that he was accustomed to having. I I'm starting to feel concerned. His shooting is not going to kind of come around all the way potentially, and that he's not going to kind of get the opportunities that he normally wants to get and until they kind of give him a little bit more of what he had before they kind of swapped out all the offensive skill for, for defense this year. Uh, thankfully, like that Thursday game against the Sixers, they won that game on defense in my mind. And that's not the first time they've done that this year. No, they they've, won the they've game got there. three or four. And like Jalen has really been, you know, he's had some big moments in the games, yep. one on defense. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Jalen has that skill set. It's raw, but he has that skill set that can help Trey. So, I mean, you know, part of it is like can Nate and his coaching staff kind of lean into AJ and JJ, you know, and kind of give them the repetitions and and kind of get them grounded to the point because because those are the kind of skills that you you need. Now they're not they're obviously don't have the kind of experience that like Gallo, who's played you know a million years in the league, have or something like that. But but in my mind, the coaching staff, the number one thing they have to be solving for right now is getting Trey some of the help some of the assistance some of the extra facilitation that he's used to having kind of get him on track uh because because if they're able to kind of keep their defensive performance going tonight's being a little bit uh off track 
um, and then get that offense kind of then they 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 could win a whole lot of games. But they need Trey to be Trey, and I'm I'm starting to feel like it's not just a bad shooting stretch. I feel like he's missing some stuff around him. Anything else? Bucks Bucks one more time on Monday, right? Yep. Yeah, so it should be a fun game. I I I think this is their last one this year. I can't remember if they play three or four. But if it's three, this is a big one because this would put you know be a tiebreaker if they ended up with the same record at the end of the year. So, uh, you know, if they end up with the same record as the Bucks, they've had a good season. Absolutely, they've exceeded expectations. Or (laughs) unless something something happens to Giannis, yeah, exactly. Uh, But I mean, like if they keep playing defense as well, and Trey gets back to you know, I mean, the ceiling's pretty high, you know, if all of that you know kind of sticks. But yeah, I, I think the Bucks are the best team in the league right now. So to your point, it would be uh, quite an achievement to end up with the same record. But I just think any any team that could be <laughs> could be in the mix there, whatever path gets them there, those tiebreakers are big. I think the Eastern Conference is going to be kind of compressed this year, and uh, and so I think tiebreakers could could factor even if it's more likely to be more like Philly, Cleveland. Those I think those teams are more likely to kind of end up you know in that spot than say Boston and Milwaukee. But you never know. All right. Well. I- Appreciate you taking the time, sir. Thank you, Kevin. Have a good night. And you.